My name is Justice. I'm Pierce. And we're here at Rafferty Farms in Okotoks, Alberta. We're going to head inside to the greenhouse and do a little interview and a little tour of their facilities here. Let's go check it out. The greenhouse now, we're going to get a little tour. Okay, so this is the fish tank. This is where our 280 koi fish live, basically producing all the nutrients, well, the vast majority of the nutrients that the plants are going to need. So they're, they're making waste in the water. The water is then collected, uh, pumped out into the greenhouse, and then it trickles through towers that we've designed. It waters the plants, all the water gets recaptured and then return to the fish tank through a gutter system. That's Very cool. So this, is that go like all, is that just like yeah, so right is, there? Or? It goes just to those back. Gotcha. Right there, and it's three meters deep. So three meters? Yeah, you oh, don't want to wow, fall okay. in. You, you can't touch. <laughs> Everything looks a little wonky because of the windstorm. Everything got a bit torn. But okay. Basically, this is the greenhouse. So the water, the water gets pumped out of the fish tank, out into the greenhouse. It trickles through these towers where all the microbiology and worms and things are living. And along with our plants, there's no soil. It basically just trickles through and then returns to the fish tank through a gutter system. And now the plants there, are absorbing all the nutrients that they need. Is there soil in these columns or no. is it, no? No, it's all rocks. Oh, wow, okay. So it's just giving a place for all of the roots from the plants to gotcha. grab on and live. And for all the microbiology. You, you need a massive amount of microbiology to process the waste coming from the fish tank. And this is where it all happens. And then for the floor here, is there a specific purpose for why you're using this specific material? Or is it just kind of... It just reflects light back up. And then also any water that falls off the ceiling as condensation gets trapped and brought back into the gutters so we can collect it's basically just efficiencies yeah we're capturing capturing all the water and reflecting the light rather than it getting absorbed by the floors awesome very cool we're here with james brian and nick uh here at rafferty farms uh so just to kick things off uh, can you guys just tell us who you are as a company and what you do here what you grow Who are we as a company? Well, okay, I'll do a bit of an intro. So the company started, actually, the origins of the company started with James. He had a lighting business that he started way back in like 2009. Our original plan was actually to create systems, but then we realized that we basically needed to be our own customer, um, which is why Rafferty Farms exists today, because there were mm -hmm. no real viable aquaponic systems at the time. And so we started in a small facility um, just over there. It was what? 1,200 square feet. 1,200 square proof feet. Proof of concept. Yeah, proof of concept. Uh, totally bootstrapped. So we yeah. funded it. Yeah, we funded it ourselves, took out loans and everything. Well, no one would give us money anyway, so that's partly <laughs> the reason. <laughs> no choice. So that's partly the reason too. Um, but we started, yeah, researching aquaponics, which interested, interested us as a growing concept. And then... Yeah, that's kind of how things started. So that would have been in, when did you guys start? About 2019? So you've been... Uh, we started 2015. 2015 the prototype, okay. proof of concept, 2018 is when we broke ground on this site. And then 2019 is probably when it went into production. Yeah. So like three or four years, the small one, and yeah. then from that point on here, yeah. So just in, from like a low level, 
for like our viewers. Can you just kind of describe aquaponics and kind of how that system works, I guess, for farming? Super basic, I guess. So basically we have fish swimming around in water, we feed them a high quality food. Um, their waste and everything and water is collected and sent into the greenhouse where plants, microorganisms, worms break down the, the toxic ammonia in the water into nutrients for the plants and then the plants basically absorb the nutrients and we call it like cleaned and the water flows back to the fish tank as basically a closed loop ecosystem. Very cool. Yeah, I guess that kind of just runs into my next question is kind of just give us a quick rundown of all the sustainability efforts you guys have kind of implemented into your operations. Obviously, aquaponics sounds like a very sustainable method of farming. Is there anything else you guys are doing to kind of either bring down emissions or save on save on energy, save on save on water? Yeah, there's a couple things. So I'd say one of them is that the entire outer skin of the building is actually like a rainwater catch. So when it does rain, we're able to collect a bunch of that water and then throw it back into the system. And because the building is so large now, you get, like when it rains, you get a lot of water. Um, it's also like a condensation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, we have like a three inch pipe, four inch pipe down there and it's just like torrenting sometimes yeah. when it's raining. So. And it also captures any condensation on the inside of the tent. But it, it's basically a tent, right? It's right. So any condensation that collects on the inner skin is also captured and brought back to the processor room. Cool. Um, there's other small, like smaller things as well. Like uh, we also have built a uh, retractable blanket. So uh, during the winter time, to grow year round, in order to like not spend infinite money on natural gas heating the place, yeah. we can close that, and it'll insulate the building like very well. So and we're able to keep a high temperature and grow throughout the whole year. It is heated with natural gas, so we do use natural gas. We use like three household furnaces to heat this whole place, so it's very little. But we also, the, the monitoring system basically counts how much CO2 is being dumped into the growing environment from those furnaces. Mm. So we're tracking the CO2, and basically the plants are absorbing a lot of the CO2 that's being dumped into the greenhouse before Okay, okay that, that's pretty cool. Into yeah. the atmosphere. Okay. So we can actually, we actually, you can see the total consumption and everything that's being tracked based on wow. what the greenhouse, what the furnaces are producing, and what the plants are using. Um, but just a further question in terms of the, the heating. So I wanted to ask, like, because I, I saw on your website you use use wind, solar, and then also geothermal to heat the place. How much have you been able to turn into? Um, like emissions-free, I guess, heating. I don't think Do you know the number, or is it like just like a guesstimate? The, it would be a guesstimate, but there's no like emissions-free heating, I guess, here. In the the solar and the wind, they were a great like supplement early mm. on, but they, without a huge investment, it was pretty obvious that that wasn't going to be what was doing the majority of the work. So basically, natural gas is what keeps the place, and we have utility running in for electrical. But we did do... We did, we buried about 10,000 feet of um, four inch pipe under the greenhouse, eight feet down. So in the summertime, when the air temperatures are really high in the greenhouse, we're pumping that air underground and the earth is acting sort of as a battery. And it's right underneath the greenhouse. And so, and then in the winter time, we, we, we pump air back in and we get warm air back out. So it's, it's cooling our greenhouse in the summertime 
and it's usually actually cooler in here than it is outside on those 36 degree days. Really? It's usually only 30 in here, and then in the winter time, that's really supplementing the heating in the greenhouse. Okay. Yeah. So you kind of use the ground as <clears throat> like heat exchange to balance out the temperature on the outside. So in winter time, you, you, the ground preheats the air before it gets to the furnaces. So then you use less energy to bring it up to whatever temperature yeah. we need for the furnaces. And then in the summertime, we're not using the furnaces, but you blow the air underground and then it removes all the, the heat. And then when it comes up, it's only in like single digits. So mm -hmm. it does, you know, depending on the time of the season, it, it benefits us both ways. Yeah. I think another thing too is when we first started the business, we were a lot more idealistic. And so no, things like realistic. solar, <laughs> solar thermal, wind, I mean, it requires a lot of battery capacity, capacity, right, to actually offset your energy use. So I think early on we, we experimented with, with it, but the key is like, you're still a business at the end of the day. So right. you need to make sure you have a strong business and business fundamentals in your, in your economics makes sense before you start adding on all of these other technologies, which require typically huge upfront capital investment and then the payback is typically longer out into the future. So for us now, I mean, given the experience, we do want to move in that direction, of course, like anyone else would, but you have to take care of your core first and then add those things on as it makes sense, right? Yeah. Because otherwise you're gonna like kill yourself and your business just to put up some turbines. They cost, right? Yeah. So, so there was a sense. couple ideas though that really did pan out, so like the geothermal thing, like without the cooling in the summer, like that's probably the biggest thing to that, is like the cooling in the summer, because you guys know how hot it gets here. Like yeah. mm -hmm. our plants would not survive because it would just get, it, 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 it would be like 40 plus inside and it's wow. able to just stay at around like 35 um, with the cooling. And then also, you know, something we might explore in the future again is the, the solar um, thermal. So we had, um, Evacuated to yeah, solar that would uh, they ran the hot water tank in the small greenhouse like the entire time year round always yeah they were amazing so that was like a very efficient yeah use of solar and there are cases that are, I think like we would look into in the future of using that again for heat because it is like very effective is there any like misconceptions that you kind of want to clear up about either aquaponics or just kind of agriculture or non-traditional agricultural agriculture um, in general i guess first off the greens don't taste like fish <laughs> <laughs> that'll be the first thing to clear up and then it can be a profitable business it isn't it definitely is more challenging than say hydroponics or traditional farming they like traditional farming is super difficult mm. not to say but it is aquaponics combines so many different things in a small space and it, it is it is really challenging but it can be done and it can be run as a profitable business yeah it just is just a space that needs a little more innovation i think and like people just need to think a little more outside the box to make it work um another misconception i'd say is that it's not i, I think people are worried about like the safety aspect of like food safety um the whole system is like a, a living ecosystem with a bunch of like different types of like organisms and whatnot. So when it comes to things like salmonella and like E. coli, they can't thrive in an environment that has like so much competition um, 
from other like living organisms mm. and whatnot. So for our viewers, what's the difference between a hydroponic system and an aquaponic system? Yeah, really the only difference is going to be the, the nutrient source, I guess. Okay. So nutrient source in hydroponic system is going to be chemical fertilizers primarily. I guess you can use organic non-chemical fertilizers, but you're still deriving them from like fermented kelp or fish right. or something. So in an aquaponic system, the nutrient source is basically the fish waste. So a major, like vast majority of the nitrogen in the system is coming from ammonia the fish are excreting and then you have phosphates and stuff locked up in the waste which is why we we let everything process in the system we don't remove anything but i guess i guess that's the major difference it's just having living fish and treating it as a an ecosystem rather than a bucket of nutrients and a bunch of plants. so aquaponics is a bit more like laissez-faire like just kind of you let it kind of you do. You let it evolve its over time. Yeah. yeah, and it takes a long time to build up the bacteria you need to break down the fish waste into available nutri sorry, nutrients for the plants. And like the system's full of worms, single cell microorganisms, like everything you can imagine lives mm. lives in the greenhouse, and that's what that's what makes the plants grow so much faster too. They're used to living in an ecosystem, not a not a sterile environment. Yeah, those cool. are some big fish. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing all right. <laughs> uh, so what is the, like, what's the most difficult part you would say about running an operation like this? Aquaponics specifically or just like a greenhouse? Uh, yeah, aquaponics, like your facility here. Okay. What's, what's the most difficult part? I would say one of the biggest challenges is just realizing that, like, everything matters. Um, like, everything down, you like, do has an effect. Everything you do has an effect down to, like, you know, some sort of change you make you think might be unconsequential yeah. can just like ruin everything mm. so for example i'll just throw this one out here it's like for years um during the cold snaps of winter we'd have too much co2 in the greenhouse and it would just like kill everything and we just like didn't know why mm. so it's just like this tiny little thing that we just like didn't really you know we monitored it but we're like oh it doesn't matter because you know plants like co2 <laughs> <laughs> but at a certain point, we kept it. We didn't let it go above certain levels, but like basically the information that's available online, I guess, without talking to a lot of other big growers who have years of experience, you know, yeah, some of that stuff slips through the cracks and is not available online. It seems to me like a system like this, like every component of the of the process has to be you know, working correctly or else, you know, it goes down through the whole system. Like, everything's got to be perfect. Everything's got to be perfect. Yeah. Everything yeah. is on a scale and it's, like, can very easily just, you know, go one way and then it's just kind of, like, the whole, like, your production will just start to slip all of a sudden if, yeah. if something isn't in its parameters. It's, it's, like a constant, it's a constant game of, like, trial and error. It, yeah, a constant game of trial and error, just a complete balancing. Making action. sure everything's balanced, yeah. yeah. So in the, this greenhouse, like, that's one of the things we learned from the small prototype is like, uh, for instance, a smaller water volume seems to be desirable for some reason in the hydroponics, aquaponics industry. We went the opposite way. We crammed as much water volume as we could into this greenhouse. We're, we're usually operating at like 60,000 liters of circulating volume, not including what's out in the greenhouse at any given time. And wow. having that massive buffer, it helps us buffer our nutrient levels. So we're not it's not fluctuating daily um, our temperature is way more stable e everything just stays more stable so we've tried to build in a lot of 
buffers to try to make, buffers and <laughs> make the system stay more stable. And redundancies, yeah. My background was aircraft maintenance, so we built in everything. Redundancy-focused Yeah, everything on an aircraft has like a redundant system. There's always something else that'll take over if something breaks, right? Mm. Yeah, to a point. So we tried to build that. <laughs> yeah, to a point. We tried to, off and maybe not. Yeah, yeah. We tried to build in the same mentality into the greenhouse. So like, there's never, there's never one pump that controls an entire system. There's multiple pumps that control every system. Mm -hmm. There's multiple lines going to every tower. There's multiple. Everything's got a redundant system, so that when something does break, you can notice it, fix it, but nothing stops. Nothing stops. Working. Lots of fail safes in place, kind of. Oh, tons of fail safes. Yeah. I think the benefit to the so the, all the benefits of aquaponics, the fact that you can you have a closed loop system and you're controlling all these different components is also like the downside too, right? Mm. If you think about it, yeah. because in nature you let nature take care of your environment, you let it take care of watering. Well, you have irrigation too, of course, but like soil nutrients and you supplement mm. here and there. But nature itself is like a buffer, right? It buffers the, um, the growing environment. So when you go in here and you take that away in a way, you have to basically control every component, which means you have to be extra careful about everything you do because you have no other buffers unless you build them in, right? Yeah. So you don't you can't drain, you know, everything because the water's recirculating all the time, right? So I think that's a big maybe a misconception about aquaponics is like it's definitely not that easy and I think that's why we haven't seen a lot more success in it is because it's so complex because you have your own little ecosystem in there and you're kind of tinkering with it to make it optimal. Little right? tweaks, yeah. little tweaks. Mm -hmm. And even um, as an example, we just lost the, the roof of the greenhouse. Mm -hmm. So we lost a lot of our plants in the greenhouse. And so when something like that happens, your, your nutrient source, which is your fish tank, and your microbiology in the entire system, you have to keep that happy everything has to be in balance so when you lose a whole bunch of plants you can't be feeding your fish the same amount of food that you've been feeding while you're supporting a hundred thousand plants oh, okay so when and we're supporting on a concentration of nutrients in the water because yeah. plants aren't taking it up anymore at the same rate they were you have to make sure everything it. remains balanced right mm. yeah yeah you can't have too little nutrients the same way you can't have like, yeah. too much nutrients yeah. i guess at the same time so, yeah. yeah and i that's yeah that was crazy because then you know when that happened the temperature dropped the humidity is different and then so then because that plants aren't growing as fast, because they're not growing as fast, the nutrients aren't taking up as much, and there's different size plants, so it's just like a very complex. It really thing. puts everything <laughs> you've learned over the yeah. last eight years um, sort of into play. Like, you have your own like little world in there that you gotta like. Yeah, you monitor. do. Yeah. You, you and we use we utilize like water. Like we send water chemistry weekly to do testing and make sure all the levels are perfect. We can do we can do in house testing. There's a little bit of stuff that we monitor all the time, but. We yeah, do rely on complex things here. Or, or, I don't know. Forgot the question, but it was like, what was unique? Or the water chemistry here is very, very important to keep an eye on. I mean, of course, you have your ambient things like light, CO two concentration, etc. But water chemistry, which Brian monitors all the time and tracks every couple weeks or so, is like key, right? Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, yeah, just uh, you mentioned the yeah you had some trouble with the roof blowing off a few weeks ago, a bit of a uh, scary kind of moment there. So I guess that kind of just segues into my next question. You guys run this year round. Uh, what's like what's the most difficult part about maintaining, you know, a thirty degree greenhouse 
in, in a Calgary winter when it gets really cold, like how do you guys manage, how do you guys manage that? The most difficult part? Yeah, or just what's the challenge of, of that, running that year round? I think it's, part of it for the longest time was just not knowing how um, certain things interact with each other. So like I was like, you know, I was saying earlier about the CO2 thing, like that is like just such a, you know, you're like, oh, the furnaces are running more, that's fine, they're just running but then it, it affects your humidity, yeah. and it also, mm. like, your day and night temperatures change. You just, I, I guess the challenge is maintaining that perfect balance yeah. right. and making sure that everything, because your furnaces are running more often, your humidity is dropping, so we... Then if all of a sudden you get, like, a cold snap, and then you're, like, exactly yeah, you're scrambling, yeah. right? And so we've, we've built in things to uh, make it um, more... Balanced throughout the year, you know, like our, our blanket and having like our second ceiling, so we don't have to heat as much space during the winter. The whole greenhouse is lit with LED lights, so uh, everything's on timers. So uh, everything's computer controlled, automated. Yeah, yeah, everything's automated, so everything sort of does its own thing to make sure that the environment stays perfect, so the basil never realizes it's winter. And all <laughs> those things didn't just like we didn't have uh, plans from the beginning yeah. with those things in mind. Like they're kind of. You know, when you move into a new space, like from our small greenhouse, it was like, okay, well, now this is an issue. We must think of a solution, you know, and then over time, you just keep finding solutions, I guess, to these uh, changes, especially when the temperature fluctuation here is just like crazy because you guys know it's negative 30 plus, and then in the summer, it's 30 plus. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And those are just two very different environments you need to figure out how to counteract. Right. Basically. So we- another thing, too, is. Calgary and southern Alberta are one of the sunniest places on earth. And so despite it being negative 30, you know, for weeks on end in the wintertime, we do get a lot of sun. So right. irrespective of the temperature outside, I mean, the sun's super crucial. So we actually have a, a really good, like that's a huge benefit for us being in this area. So, yeah, despite the cold. So Definitely. <laughs> I guess that's another thing between hydroponics and aquaponics. Most most uh, hydroponic operations, I think, yeah, are, are typically like in, yeah. indoors, in artificial warehouse, lighting. using artificial okay. lighting. Yeah, and I think people talk up artificial lighting, and, and James has done some tests out here, but if you compare, I don't know if it's like a Lux measurement, but... There's just no comparison. There's no comparison. No matter what you do. No. Definitely. You talk up all these different types of lights, and they're playing with spectrums, and da-da-da-da-da, yeah. but at the end of the day, it's just not com- comparable. They're massively important right. for that consistency. Yeah. Like, so mm-hmm. we can extend the day to 16 hours a day. It's always the same. It's like a supplement, right? Lighting right. is a supplement. It's yeah. not your primary mm-hmm. light source. But the plants still want sun. Yeah. They yeah. grow yeah. better with sun. They taste better yeah, with sun. I feel like can't yeah. beat the sun. Yeah, we can't. They've evolved over millions of years yeah. to use the yeah. sun. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And they can know when it's not, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we've touched a bit on like technology and kind of the different things you guys are utilizing here. Um, so the like, if there's one key piece of like technology or a technique that you guys would say is most important, would you say was that solar thermal or would that be? I, I think it's just the idea of vertically growing. That, yeah, vertical mm-hmm. growing. Well, vertical growing and maybe the hybrid combination of everything. So as uh, Nick mentioned just previously, like. Engine, sorry, that the aquaponics and hydroponics uh, systems are like a lot of times just indoor. It's like, I, you know, you need to mix things a bit, you know. So, 
but here it's a greenhouse as well and we're not just in like a closed building so we are harnessing the sun and then with the vertical growing you just it's kind of unbeatable in terms of uh, square footage efficiency per square foot yeah. Yeah. De definitely not saying we've we've nailed it yeah. like there's a lot of things that need to be improved in this greenhouse but um Vertical growing, I think, traditionally has been a massive challenge. There's been a lot of excitement about it. A lot of people have tried a lot of different methods. Um, I don't know if any one of them works perfectly. Like, nothing seems to work perfectly yet, but no. I think we just need more people to keep trying. I don't think there's yeah. one, I don't think there's one system or technology that outweighs another. It's the constant optimization and synergy between it all. Because I couldn't say, like, you know, we could make this work if it wasn't, say, vertical. We did right. it a different way. But if we took away one thing, then, right? So it's, it's all it's about all optimization, system. I think. Yeah. That is, yeah. That is a very fair point. Because literally, if you took away one, like, just thinking of, you know, taking away one thing in there, like, if we let's say we're in a building, okay, then that's, it kind of falls apart. If we were yeah. vertical growing, it kind of falls apart. If I guess the roof is important. You know, yeah. <laughs> maybe yeah. that. If we didn't have like our blanket, like our year-round shtick would just be gone. And then, like, yeah. you know, like it just all. I guess all it's matters. just a massive combination yeah. of a lot of different technologies, right? That makes this possible. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so, if you could talk to like larger scale, maybe like more corporate style farms, is there any piece of advice you would give them about kind of improving their sustainability efforts while still kind of meeting their demand and meeting their, uh, meeting, yeah, their requirements? I bet you, I think it's a misconception. I think um, large, large, like commercial farms, people think of them as not being that sustainable, but I think from like a business perspective and the actual people that are running those farms, I think they are trying their very best. Yeah, I think they're, I think they're right on the edge of. I don't know. I nobody think what you wants touched on to it be well earlier too. Yeah. It's like it's very hard to like farming is a very hard industry to to yeah. lower emissions. Like it's a, it's a very like intensive business for sure. I think it's pretty amazing what a lot of the large farms are, especially some of the larger robotics farms that are coming mm. out. It's pretty incredible what's being done. Yeah. I think it's just always easy to be on the outside looking into something and just be like, you guys could be doing so much. Yeah, right, really definitely. And it's very it's much like, like you just, you know. It's difficult. It's a lot easier to point out problems than solutions. And no farmer definitely. wants to be, no farmer wants, they all want to lower their um, input costs. Everybody wants mm. to be producing more because you can sell more. Everybody, I think everybody's just sort of working away at it. Right. As hard as they can. Yeah, I think um, I haven't done tons of research, but from what I hear too, like Canadian agriculture is on par in the world in terms of production, you know, volume per hectare or whatever the measurement is, right? Like there are tons of efficiency. And you also have to remember too that you can afford to take, to be more innovative and make a lot of changes when you're smaller because it's just like if you have a small group of people. If, you just, if there's only three of us and we say go there, it's easy. But if you have like thousands and hundreds of thousands, you have a large business, you can't pivot quickly. I mean, you, your operation would disintegrate. So people need to realize that the bigger the company gets, the harder it is for them to change. And it's, mm -hmm. right? And so it's not that they don't want to innovate or things like that. It's easier to innovate as a smaller company because like all three of us, 
we can decide today, like, oh, we're going to change this thing. Okay, go in there and change it. Yeah. But if you have like thousand greenhouses and these massive processes that keep the machine running, you can't just make a split second decision one day and say, hey, go change out the <laughs> yeah. thousand greenhouses tomorrow. Yeah, like, because that's a great point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a really good point. point. Then it's like, yeah. you know, you're risking and the risk, not yeah. only your business, but you're risking everyone who's complaining about you. And then all of a sudden, there's not going to be no nothing in the grocery store, and they're going to be like, yeah, why? Stability. <laughs> stability yeah. is mm. what produces puts food on your table. It's stability. It's not. I mean, innovation is important, of course, but without the stability in the supply chains, we don't have. Yeah, basically everything, everything we do so. here, everything in this big greenhouse is um, attempting to like we're writing procedures. We're we're trying to get everything larger scale, more stable, like sorry, more copy paste. You know, right? We're trying to iron all the problems out in here get so that we can make it bigger. Fluctuations, right? <laughs> of yeah. whatever's happening. I yeah, that's the only way you can scale. And right. I think a lot of people don't realize is like how tight, how much of a tight margin business farming is. Yeah, like <laughs> farms run on shoestring budgets. Exactly. Yeah. Like who, who do you like? How do you think everything's being harvested? Where do you think they're getting the packaging from? Who's delivering it? Who's, you know, like everyone wants low food prices, and you know, farmers want to produce as much food as possible. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a perfect segue into my next question. Rising food prices is kind of a big, uh, big discussion going on, especially in this country. Um, from your perspective as farmers, uh, what, is something that, what is something that farms can do to keep costs down um, for consumers while still maintaining uh, sustainable it's, operations? It's hard to speak for like anyone else other than us really yeah. because we don't really know how processes are you know in the fields or whatnot or even in someone else's operation but for here it really is just making sure that you're not like resting on your laurels with stuff and you're always trying to think where can we save how can we be more efficient how can we make this time? more efficient yeah. yeah where can we cut a cost without affecting like our end product yeah right? or affecting the people that work here so. Yeah, so for example, like it's a huge amount of manpower. Um, currently, we're packing everything in pre-printed Ziploc bags. So one of the things we identified is like the basically the manpower that it takes to do that. And so like we invest in a packaging machine that helps us put everything into plastic bags without having to sit there. And right, stop all the man hours. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I, I think efficiencies, I guess, from technology. Yeah, utilizing technology gotcha. to try to find efficiencies and uh, yeah, and cut costs. Cutting costs is a huge thing. Yeah. Insulating the greenhouse, keeping the heat in. Th there's always there's always something you can do. I think. Like I think it's very rare to look at a process and just be like, "That's perfect." <laughs> yeah, there's always there's room to improve. That can be done, yeah. and I think that's just where a lot of people can just get comfortable. But it is massively challenging. Like as your yeah. utility bills increase and stuff, it's really difficult to not have to raise prices to the like. We don't deal directly with consumers. Like we do deal with distributors and stuff. But when we raise our price, their price has to go up, and their yeah. price has to go up due to transportation. So I don't know. Rising costs of basic inputs sort of is. It all accumulates. Yeah, it slowly yeah. accumulates, and if you're not watching your numbers really carefully, then yeah, it can get away from you, and your profitable business becomes non-profitable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you're not in business anymore. <laughs> yeah, it can very, very quickly change, for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, so in light of kind of remaining optimistic and looking ahead to the future, where do you guys see your business in the next five to ten years? What changes do you foresee coming or what are your plans for the next? Keep going. Yeah. yeah Another think... greenhouse right away in the spring here. Nice. Twice this size. Yeah, I think, wow. I think for us, since we started in the, the small greenhouse in 2015, this is the first time since we started where financially it makes sense to think about expansion. Um, because we we don't have investors outside of personal funds, I guess, and, and bank loans and such. But this is the first time it's, it's made sense financially to expand, so it's actually really exciting for us at this time because it's, uh, yeah, it's the beginning of Greater things, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Greater things. And Probably then maybe just yeah. a tough slog. And actually, another thing that people, I think, misunderstand about these businesses is, or when even you're when you're starting something, is it takes many, many, many years just to get it surviving, <laughs> and then you can think about thriving. Definitely. Right? Like it's yeah. not. <laughs> and then we talked about you know sustainable tech and all these bells and whistles and things, but. The bells and whistles come after. So you figure out how to survive first, and then you think about all the extras, right? Because there's a lot of bells and whistles that we, I feel like we could think about doing, but there's no money. Like, we don't have any money. <laughs> step one yeah. is just yeah. like, what's the cheapest way we can get this exactly. operating yeah. and get going? Make it work. I think that's yeah. something that's not talked about either. Is like, we all want to invest in these really cool technologies that help, you know, whatever, sustainability, bring down emissions, but you got to remain in business for even to even implement those. Yeah. So you got to give credit to farmers. They are so good at problem solving with materials and resources that they have on hand. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, that's all, that's what you guys do here is like, it's just Daily. problem, problem yeah. solving every single day, which is really yeah. cool. With something that's available or that we already have yeah. or that we can find cheaply. Yeah. And it's every single industry in there. It's like, I mean, with James's very diverse skill set, we've got a lot of plumbing in there, right? With the aquaponics, there's a lot of like flowing water all the time, valves all over the place. So there's like the plumbing, there's the electrical system, which has runs all the pumps and everything in here, right? And then you have all these other technologies. I mean, we've got to do welding because you're doing metal work. You've got woodworking because there's a lot of structure in there. Like every single industry you can think of, chemistry, yeah. right? Every single industry you can think of is being applied, you know, to some degree. You know, Definitely. Yeah. On a farm. To grow food. Yeah. 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 Okay, so I guess we can kind of just end off on a, on a lighter question here, going down the line. Uh, what is you, like, each, as individually, what is the most rewarding part of each of your jobs, would you say? Like, why do you, why do you love coming to work here every day? Ooh, I like building stuff. Okay. <laughs> so I guess, like, I... simple set for him, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I love building stuff. If I'm not, like, thinking about a problem, solving a problem, and making something real... Uh, I get really bored. So being able to come here every day, uh, Brian would kill me some days because I want to change something that probably didn't need to be changed, <laughs> and then it causes a massive problem. So, but I guess being able to you know, trial and error and build stuff, like doing building something that's real, and yeah, in the effort of making things better. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't always work out. But. Um, I'd say. It, Mine's more a personal fulfillment thing, you know, always just like wanting to prove to myself that 
you can do it, you know? Like, you didn't have to go work for someone else. You could, you could figure it out. Yeah. Do, yeah. do it yourself, you know? And also just the idea that what we are doing is important. You know, it's like, you know, we're growing food. We're doing it in a, you know, a sustainable way. And that's just a good cause in general. So I'd say those two things are probably the most important. Yeah. I think I'm not, I'm far from being involved in the daily operations. So I think very high level about these things. But, you know, agriculture, energy, these industries are noble industries. I think people um, forget or maybe aren't, don't think about how how these industries have contributed to human flourishing in general and we attack them because we want them to be better or because we blame them for contributing to all these other issues but the, the fact is, is they've these industries have contributed far more than they've taken away to humanity and we can't forget that because not every industry is a noble industry but I can say that agriculture and energy are more likely to be right or are because yeah so definitely so. I couldn't agree more we have our way of life to thank for, yeah. for those industries yeah. like the I mean, way the way perfect. that we live don't get me wrong it's not perfect yeah. But I mean, would you want to? There's always room for improvement. Like yeah. Two hundred years ago, and it's hundred percent. Like, it's, it's scalable agriculture and plentiful, cheap energy, which is to thank for everything we have. So yeah, I think gratitude, right? That's a big thing. I think with a lot of these movements and, and young people, and is just having the gratitude to these industries because those are the industries that um, are the foundation of everything else we have, right? Every other industry rests on certain industries like energy and agriculture. So. Well, and it wouldn't be made if it wasn't going to be consumed, right? So, yeah. yeah. yeah that's, mm. that's another aspect, too, for sure. Okay, I just have one more question, and any of you can answer. Um, what would you say to, I guess, a young Canadian out there who is hesitant about, like, working in the agriculture industry, and what would you do? <laughs> what would you do? I mean, we talked, obviously, about a lot of the difficulties, but, like, what would you say to them to be, like, this is something that is cool and is, is an industry that you should, you know, look for a career in. There's literally never a dull moment. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's a yeah, good way to put it. Yeah. No, it's, you're always, you're always busy. There's always something to make better. Um, it's a lot of work, for sure, but you feel a massive sense of accomplishment at the end of every day because you're always, you've always, you've always done something. I don't know. I've never worked... Yeah. It motivates you to work a lot harder, I think, when you're working towards something that you know is benefiting more than just yourself, I think. It's exciting. It's an exciting industry. Yeah. yeah, and the most valuable professions aren't always the ones that are intellectual and use your mind only. And, right, of course, um, of course those other industries are valuable, but a lot of people derive a lot of satisfaction from doing things with their hands. Hands-on, yeah. Right, Definitely. being more hands-on. So that's a huge benefit. I would say, um, don't get into, you know, innovative farming if it's just for the money, because that may never happen. So <laughs> realistically, I mean, it could happen, but it may not happen. So there are, if your pursuit is money solely, I think there are far other, you know, there are far more other ways of pursuing it. Not to say this 
won't become lucrative, but I, I don't think that should be the main driver. No, and you get to be like connected. Yes. You're you're literally in the greenhouse. You're in the heat. You're in the sun. You're with plants. That's You've good. Got fish. There's yeah. microbiology all around you. you it's very you're in nature. It's all very natural yeah. feeling. All